Well, here's something a bit different for the morning show, and I am so excited to be able to explore some of the intricacies of one of the most fascinating of card games, Bridge. It actually has a relatively short history, at least if we're talking about modern Bridge, uh, but it is something which has really... Uh, taken our nation by storm in, in many ways. And there are some really famous people who have uh, embraced bridge and been really devoted to it. And, and people young and old alike seem to have been bitten by the bridge bug as of late. And we can learn a lot about this uh, fascinating and complex game uh, in a new book called The Backwash Squeeze and Other Improbable Feats, A Newcomer's Journey into the World of Bridge, published by HarperCollins, and the author, Edward McPherson. Perhaps you know him as I do from a wonderful book from a year or two ago called Buster Keaton, Tempest in a Flat Hat, which, of course, uh, is a chronicle of the life and career of one of the great geniuses of the silent film era. And uh, perhaps you've seen Edward McPherson's writing in other places like New York Times uh, Magazine. Uh, again, this book is called The Backwash Squeeze. And Edward McPherson, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Great. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to uh, 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 talking with you. So explain to our listeners how uh, someone can go from Buster Keaton to the game of bridge. I mean, are you just <laughs> one of those authors that's interested in a little bit of everything? Well, th that's certainly the case, but the uh, the actual story is a little less uh, exciting. And well, the short answer is that Buster Keaton actually was obsessed with bridge um, and played it a lot, uh, unfortunately, to his financial detriment, uh, in the 20s and 30s, um, he, his, he used to quip that it was Hollywood's uh, second favorite indoor sport, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the longer version is that when I first moved, I live in New York City, and when I first moved here, uh, my first apartment uh, when I was writing the Keaton book was happened to be underneath a bridge club. And uh, I was pretty much uh, holed up writing the book full time, but I'd go up to the roof to kind of see the sun, um, and I'd have to walk by the bridge club. And I didn't know anything about bridge. I didn't grow up in much of a card family, but it was just full of these kind of inscrutable eccentrics who, who really cared about nothing other than, and, than getting to the bridge club and, and sitting down at the table for hours at a time. So uh, when it came time to write another book, uh, I kind of just, I was talking to my agent, and she said, well, you know, we we're talking about apartments. And she said, you ought to look that up because uh, her husband's a big bridge player. And so I did. I, I went back to the club. Both uh, the club and I had been booted from the building <laughs> when it, it sold and went very <laughs> fancy. Uh, but I looked them up, and um, I signed up for a lesson. And, and both the people and the game were just so fascinating that I thought, well, th I could certainly put together a fun book on this and, and do a lot of travel. I, I, I uh, ended up doing a lot of travel for the book, kind of seeking out these eccentric pockets of, of bridge. So you didn't play bridge growing up in Texas? I, I did not. Uh, my grandmother, who lived in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, was a bridge player. Um, my grandparents in Texas did not play bridge. Uh, my parents didn't play bridge. So, I, I mean, I literally, uh, I, I'm still not a very good uh, shuffler of cards, believe it or not, um, partly because when you play competitive bridge, you actually don't shuffle the cards. They've been um, dealt into boards that uh, that move around the room, so everyone plays the same hands. But, um, no, I really, I started out as just a complete baby beginner. Hmm. Well, you tell us at some point in the book that that we're talking about 25 million people in the United States alone mm -hmm. playing bridge. I mean, I was just staggered by that number. <laughs> I mean, because it seems like bridge is one of those things we 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 hear a lot about, and yet, mm -hmm. uh, unless you 
yourself play bridge or are part of a bridge club or something. It's not necessarily something that directly crosses your path. Right. No, I, I was surprised by that. I was also surprised to, to find out that, you know, over 3 million play at least once a week and, and 5 million read a bridge column regularly. Um, it, it is surprising that, I mean, I think part of it is the remnants that it used to be um, kind of a, it was a former national pastime in America. Um, of course, the bridge population is aging, but part of it is because they were, they learned this game, uh, you know, when bridge was in kind of its heydays in the 30s and 40s. Uh, in the 40s, Bridge was in 44% of American homes, um, and there was a very popular player named Charles Gorin who had, you know, he had a column in Sports Illustrated. He had a TV show. His face was on the cover of Time. I mean, it really was a big, uh, you know, kind of not even more than a craze because it was it was more lasting. Um, but the the thing for the book is that for my generation, the game has has become poker. Uh, certainly, as of late in the last couple of years. Um, and that, to me, seemed kind of an interesting shift. How did we go from, from bridge to poker? And, and maybe, you know, what does that say about us? Right. Uh, it was certainly news to me that that bridge is a relatively new game, uh, or, I mean, c- compared to maybe some other things that have been around a lot longer. The, the game that we now call bridge only dates back to the mid-1920s. Tell us right. a little bit about um, where and how it was developed and from what it originated. Okay, well, you know, the, the roots of bridge are, are in a game called whist, which is uh, fairly similar, and that dates back to, to the 1500s. Um, you know, and all sorts of people played it. Edgar Allan Poe was obsessed with it, George Washington, Napoleon, Tal- Talleyrand. It was a very big game, um, and up until through the 19th century, because it was kind of touted as a game where uh, skill was, was more important than luck. It wasn't just the, the luck of the cards. Um, there was some sort of you could reason you could you could figure the game out and so it had a certain cachet that other other card games didn't um, and then bridge kind of arose um, in the kind of mid to late uh, 19th century um, they're not sure where the name came from some say it came from British soldiers in the Crimean War who had to cross a bridge in Constantinople to get to the coffee houses where they played their cards some say it came from a Russian word uh, which is birich which was a, a variant of whist. Um, some say the game came from Cairo. It, it wasn't clear, but it, eventually it appears in England in, in uh, you know, the late 1800s, and then um, it kind of gets refined and, and fiddled with and changed. And, and the, the kind of birthday of modern contract bridge, which is the game we play, um, there are other kinds of bridge. There's auction bridge, and there was bridge kinda as the game was getting refined. Uh, so modern bridge is kind of born on Halloween 1925, which I guess would make it, uh, 82 years uh, old this Halloween by Harold Sterling Vanderbilt, the of the famous Vanderbilts, um, while he was crossing the Panama Canal with with three of his buddies, um, he he kind of took some ideas that were out there uh, floating around um, as as to scoring and, and kind of how to play bridge uh, and refined them and, and set up a, a scoring system, uh, and then it, it just kind of took off from there. He showed it, came back to to New York, showed it to his set here and in Newport. And kind of, I mean, as a craze was born. Within six months after uh, Vanderbilt coming back with his version of Bridge, you have a woman in Chicago who is uh, written up in the paper because she's suing her husband on the completely inexcusable grounds that he trumped her ace. So <laughs> it really caught on after they, uh, uh, after it was invented. You know, it's interesting when there, there are uh, photographs in your book where we see some of these really proper uh, <laughs> gentlemen who embraced this game uh, so passionately. 
mm-hmm. and, and are part of this craze. And the, the thing that's so interesting, and, and that's, of course, part of what your book's all about, is it's kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around the possibility of, of people like this. I mean, wealthy, uh, carefully brought up uh, gentlemen mm-hmm. being part of a craze. That just right. doesn't seem that just doesn't seem to add up in in, in our modern culture at least. No, you're right. And it, and I think that certainly helped the game catch on a little bit is that it had this um you know air of you know it was an aspirational game. It was a game for the cultured, for the educated. And it still is. I mean, studies have shown that bridge players tend to, you know, have had a little more education and actually are a little wealthier than than the average American. Um you know, I'm not going to say bridge makes you smart and rich, but <laughs> um, but and it certainly helped catch on. But then what's also interesting is that the game spread so widely because it was um, an inexpensive game to play. And then you know, right around the corner from 1925 is the Great Depression, and bridge was kind of a great, cheap, and companionable way to pass a you know depression era evening. Hmm. So when you became interested in finding out more about this complex game. Uh, I find it interesting that, that that you decided to do so not just as an interested observer, but as a participant. Tell us a little bit about what what uh, galvanized you to uh, pursue this topic in this way. Right. Well, I mean, I, one way is just that Bridges is, as you say, a very complicated game. And to be honest, the, the only way to learn it is, is by playing it. And the only kind of the best way to learn it is as opposed to reading how-to books, and of course mine certainly is not that. It's, it's designed for bridge players and non-bridge players. Um, you don't need to know anything about bridge to read it. Um, is to go to The way to learn is to go to a bridge club and sit down and play with other people and learn how to play, um, which is kind of the interesting thing about bridge is that it's, you're, you're, it's a partnership game and you're completely dependent on a partner. So even the, the best players in the world, you can seclude yourself and read all the bridge books in the world, but if you're not... Uh, in sync with your partner or have a working relationship with someone else, then, then you're not going to be very good at the table. Um, so that was kind of the thing. I, I got to the club. I, I ended up befriending a, a, a woman at the club and who became my bridge partner, this wonderful 80, 83-year-old woman named Tina, uh, and I kind of convinced her through the book that we should go off to the national championships in Chicago in the summer uh, and, and play in the, in the bridge national championships. I won't spoil the book and say how we did, and kind of in between, I, uh, you know, chapters in New York and vignettes of traveling around the city. I went out to Kansas City. I went out to Dallas. I went to Las Vegas for a million-dollar tournament. I went to London. I went down to the uh, regional in the Smoky Mountains. Um, you know, I went to Bridge in a small town. There's kind of lots of interesting little pockets that uh, uh, I got to got to explore while doing the book. Well, that's part of what, of course, makes it so fun, and you can come to it then. Uh, with I, I suppose like a vested interest in 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 what you're observing. I mean, it's as though you know you are hoping to to be more and more a part of this world yourself, right, not just right. observing it. No, absolutely. And of course, you know, after the book's all said and done, and you know, I'm still meeting Tina every week Thursday night at the club to play. So, I mean, I it really is. I, I got to understand understand how these people get so get so completely hooked with it. Um, you know, the, even people who are very busy, you have somebody like uh, both Warren Buffett and Bill Gates are obsessed with bridge. Um, you know, the world's two richest men uh, play bridge online together kind of constantly. Um, Buffett has estimated he spends 10% of his productive time uh, playing bridge, hmm. which 
But you can think of all the things that demands on his time. That's pretty remarkable. Right. Well, I'm pretty sure I remember reading uh, reading in your book that uh, General Dwight D. Eisenhower would be another person who mm-hmm. uh, loved the game of bridge and was actually uh, most likely playing it in the hours before the Normandy invasion. I mean, yeah, he, that's he amazing played, to think about. <laughs> mm-hmm. he'd, he'd play to relax. Uh, I mean, they're all his letters, if you look at his presidential letters, are just filled with bridge and even, you know, there'll be a crisis in the Suez Canal, or he's up for re-election, and he's writing to his bridge partner uh, just about bridge and, and actually trying to schedule, settle old bridge scores. Um, there, there's a, it is said, I, you know, it's unclear if it's entirely true, that he picked uh, his deputy at NATO based purely on his ability uh, as a card player. He was a better bridge player than the next man. Um, <laughs> so he was completely dedicated to the game. Now, of course, you talk about how uh, your bridge partner, Tina, is, mm-hmm. in a sense, typical in that the the overall population of those who play bridge, and especially those devoted to the game, is, is generally speaking, an aging population. Mm-hmm. But that's not all we meet in, in the pages of your book. You also introduce us to teenagers rabidly devoted to this <laughs> game. Tell us, tell us what's going on there. Yeah, well, that was interesting because, of course, the stereotype of bridge is that it's a you know a bunch of drowsy old ladies sitting around a table, um, which was not what I what I found as I traveled around. I found um, you know you could have I was very surprised to learn that, for example, um, there's a group of kids, kind of bridgeaholics, who um, you know in their late teens, early twenties, who travel around with the regional tournaments, almost like they're following the Grateful Dead, uh, working at the tournaments. They're what's called caddies. They help set up, they move the cards between tables and do all sorts of odd jobs. But these kids, um, you know, this is their full-time job. They're professional caddies. They just want to hang around bridge and hang around these bridge tournaments. Um, it's like they're following a rock band. You know, they know all the bridge stars. They hope to one day become professional bridge players. Uh, another vocation I was surprised to learn about that you could, there's a whole bunch of kids who've dropped out of college um, to become professional bridge players, and they can make, you know, around $100,000 a year as a, um, it's kind of a hired gun. It's like um, you know, a wealthier and, and weaker partner hires them to be uh, play with them at the table. It's like having Andre Agassi as you know, step up and be your doubles partner. Um, and these kids just travel around the country with uh, their sponsors, these people who are paying them um, to play bridge. Fascinating. <laughs> so <laughs> the sense we get is that, that the people that are so passionate about bridge uh, – are are drawn in by its intricacies, uh, complexities, mm-hmm. the fact that there is always more to learn. I mean, it's, it's kind of a bottomless pit uh, yeah. that, that can be explored in, in, in terms of, of, of becoming a more assured, nuanced player of bridge. Is it, is it really that different from, from other games? I mean, is it that much more complex? I mean, is, is that the secret of the allure? I, I mean, I think I, I absolutely think you're right. I think you hit it on the head. You hit it on the head. Um, I mean, if you compare it to something like chess, um, you know, you can go. You could be stuck on a desert island with all the all the great chess books in the world, and if you have the you know the head for it, you can become a fantastic chess player. Um, not so with bridge. It's all about not only do you need to be uh, you know brilliant uh, yourself, but you also need to have some sort of um, ability to empathize or, or you know, uh, visualize what your partner's doing. Um, you need imagination. It's, it's the partnership that makes it so tricky. Um, it's interesting that computers are actually, have kind of outstripped us at chess. They're, we're actually relearning the game of chess uh, that we taught to computers. Um, 
they found solutions to end games that were long thought kind of hopeless draws. Computers have actually showed that it, it favors one side. Um, so we were relearning chess from computers while they absolutely still stink at bridge, which is actually very comforting when you're learning the game. You can at least go home and, and maybe beat up on your computer a little bit. Um, it's just the bidding in bridge, the, the defense, and kind of everything having to do with the partnership aspect of it is, is very difficult for computers. Um, so it actually, I mean, it is. A, it, there's there's 635, or 635 billion hands you could be dealt uh, at the bridge table, and during the bidding you only have 38 bids, 15 words you can say, uh, to use to, to describe your hands. And so um, it really, it's such a complex game. Um, I don't know if the listeners know how to play bridge, but you have 13 cards in your hand and 13 on the table. So you can actually see, 20, everyone can see 26 cards, which is half the deck. So it feels like you're just kind of on the verge of being able to figure it all out. I mean, there's a lot of math you can do with mm. 26, half the deck at your disposal. Right, and yet not quite. <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's, it's a game where you just feel like you're, you're right on the edge of being able to figure it all out. You can kind of outwit uh, you know, the chaos of the cards. Uh, but you can't. It's a, in the end, it's unsolvable. Um, everyone says that after five years, you, you think you're pretty good. Five years. After ten years, you realize you know nothing. Uh, you know, and you're lucky if you're still playing at 15. Mm. So, um, it's kind of mathematical and mysterious, which I think is what draws everyone to it. Right. Uh, whereas some games, uh, you don't know much of anything at all, and it's, right. it's, it's all chance, or, or other things where, where you know so much, it is... Such a delicate, wonderful balance, and right. uh, that must be why Wilt Chamberlain and Mahatma Gandhi both enjoyed <laughs> playing this game, and of course millions of others, including our guest Edward McPherson. This fascinating and really uh, amusing book, also called "The Backwash Squeeze and Other Improbable Feats: A Newcomer's Journey into the World of Bridge." It's published by Harper Collins and Edward McPherson. I so enjoyed this book, and I'm really glad we got to talk about it today on the morning show. Best wishes to you so and Tina. All right, great. Thanks so much. I appreciate it.